This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. To Primal Screen, a triple R film criticism show and podcast. This is Flick Ford, broadcasting from my humble bedroom studio. In the absence of Paul Anthony Nelson, I'll be your host for tonight's show. And joining me in the virtual studio are Sally Christie. Hello, hello. And Primal Screen slash Plato's Cave alumna, Cerise Howard. Hello, hello. Cerise, it's so exciting to have you back. It's been so long. Tremendously exciting to yes. be here, which is to say uh, where I've been for most of the last two and a half months or something, <laughs> really. It's tremendously exciting. And also it's your primal screen debut, isn't it? Yes. I think so. I think yeah. so. I had a notion I may have been on the air early in the year. I, I, yeah. I feel like you were as well. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm, you're, I'm, it's maybe your virtual know. debut. But when did the rebrand occur? I can't remember. Everything's a blur <laughs> yeah. lately. I think no it's idea. definitely your virtual debut, though. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Truly, truly it is, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you both for joining me. going to be spotlighting the work of an Indigenous filmmaker, musician and excellent cook from Kaitiej country, Warwick Thornton. We'll be reviewing his debut feature-length film, The Teenage Love Story, Samson and Delilah, from 2009, and his 2017 Western Sweet Country. But we haven't just got Cerise in the virtual studio to talk about films, although we'll be doing a lot of that. Cerise, you wear a lot of hats, so far only figuratively. Um, You're (laughs) the co-curator of Melbourne's longest-running film society, Melbourne Cinematheque. You're co-founder of the Czech and Slovak Film Festival of Australia. Um, You're on the International Jury Board of East West, uh, founding member of TILD, the Melbourne Trans and Gender Diverse Film Festival. Your work has been published in By NWR, Metro, Big Issue and The Age. You also play bass with Queen Kong and the Homo Sapiens. And you've been part of the Triple R family since 2014. But as studio leader at RMIT University, specialising in incubating film festivals and contesting the canon, you're on the show today to talk about a very special online film festival. So it is, yeah, sorry, that was quite a list. I even like, I skipped over things as well, as you can only imagine. When do you get time to sleep, Cerise? I just wanted to say that I've been part of the Triple R family a lot longer than that. I was a reviewer on Smart Arts for many years. That's just quibbling. (laughs) My bad, my bad. Um, So we're going to be talking about, it's a, a new festival and it's run by students at RMIT. It's called the New Normal International Film Festival or NNIF because um, I think every film festival needs a hashtagable acronym. And today we have the pleasure of being joined by two additional guests. I'd like to introduce RMIT students and members of the programming and operations team of the New Normal International Film Festival, respectively, Amelia Leonard and Jay McGuinness. Welcome to Primal Screen. Thank you for having us. Oh, our pleasure. 
So this is a festival that's born out of an undergraduate media and communication uh, studio called the Festival Experience. And before we get into the nitty gritty of the festival itself, um, Amelia and Jay, I'm curious to know what first attracted you to the course and what were you kind of hoping to get out of it? If you want to go first. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I was initially, yeah, I was really wanting to do a um, course that was quite different from the work um, that I'd been doing throughout my degree. I'd also done vocational education. So I've kind of had a very hands-on approach with um, filmmaking um, and being, yeah, a, you know, um, on, often attending film festivals in Melbourne, um, I'd wanted to learn a bit more about um, the behind the scenes process. Um, like I'm a fan of the Cinematheque, love going to Acme, all of that. So I was um, also really excited when I found out that, yeah, Cerise was um, the co-curator um, of Cinematheque. So getting on board and, yeah, um, definitely learning about um, programming and curating and the conception of, um, a film festival, yeah, really excited to learn more about that. Awesome. And Jay, how about you? I'm the complete opposite. I haven't <laughs> had an awful lot of experience with film festivals. I remember being in year 12 and attempting to mount one and it just never came to fruition simply because I just did not have a team that was able to do that's still that's, very impressive for a year 12 student though. Yeah, yeah. I was, yeah, I got voted <laughs> in as a... Uh, medium photography captain was one of the things that I wanted to do and it's just we didn't have the time nor the manpower really to get it done but I did get to choose this this is my first studio that I had to choose since I came back from my trip over to the US where I spent a year and then coming back I pretty much wanted to change what I was doing so I'd worked in I did small things just prior with Paul Richard and we did short films and short films interested me so I th thought a film festival would be a good way to or understanding film festivals would be a good way to kind of stay in that lane but also try something a little bit different and understand the inner workings of a film festival and finally get a film festival and be part of a team that creates a film festival yeah it's absolutely. so important I think with um if you have an interest in shorts <clears throat> Uh, I guess having that knowledge of film festivals because they don't often get a platform, short films, and they often get overlooked. So, yeah, it's interesting that you would take that approach to kind of go and, you know, seek out a course in film festivals to for your love of short films. And this is the first, like, this is the second time now that the course is running and um, previously the uh, last year's, um, well, the last time it ran, it was the Melbourne, you created the Melbourne International Youth Film Festival, ended up having two shorts programs included in MQFF. So I imagine there was a lot of pressure on coming up with the, this, this year's um, topic. How did you, how did you decide on um, the new normal? <laughs> what inspired you? Um... Well, I mean, yeah, it was definitely, you know, the situation that we found ourselves in this year. Um, yeah, definitely um, arose by seeing how, like, the festival landscape was kind of changing every day and um, seeing as, like, restrictions came in and seeing, um, yeah, like, as our studio classes had to move online, um, out of the physical environment, I think we all were definitely questioning what will this like new normal be for us. So um, in general, I guess, and in terms of putting on a film festival that 
would now have to like function in an online space. Yeah. 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 The idea of this new normal and what normal means was something that really interested us. Like normal has is subject to change. It's always been subject to change. So this idea of looking at what normal is and was and is going to be in the future was something that we kind of wanted to look at when we looked at the new normal film festival because like socializing with friends has become increasingly hard like having us do like pub quizzes on zoom and that sort of thing and um, well i use discord with my friends because it's just a little bit different and i don't have to you know organize meetings i can just jump in and that's something that's normal for me just getting on voice chat and speaking to my friends and seeing that normal for me is completely different normal to everybody else. So that's where the new normal film festival came from. Yeah. I think that's a good sentiment as well. The fact that um, in like investigating normality, you know, we're in a quite a privileged position, like we're in a Western country. Um, So I think it was cool in this process of sourcing films and looking through submissions of um, expanding what that question meant to us. Um, So like not just, you know, seeing normality as like our perspective here in Australia, like definitely broadening it to different identities and different cultures. Um, I think that became really important um, for us as well. And as a way of further exploring and broadening the content that we wanted to have in a festival. How did you go about um, programming and sourcing the Mm. films? How did that all happen? Um, Well, we, we, our program kind of is made up of, yeah, both source films and films submitted through Film Freeway. So mm-hmm. it was kind of cool to approach it like that where we were looking for content but also were kind of able to be surprised by what we were seeing submitted to us. Um, and that really kind of helped shape and change our, like, initial kind of thematic and, like, stylistic choices that we'd thinking, we were thinking we'd want the festival to go in. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, we looked through different, um, as we said, sorry, submissions. Um, We looked through different festival catalogs um, and online platforms. Um, It was quite a broad search. Um, Yeah. yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've included in the festival? Like are there any, um, what kind of genres you've got going or what what you received in the submissions? Yeah. Um, So, yeah, we definitely have a range of different styles and genres. We've got um, from, like, live action drama and comedy to documentary. We've got animation, more experimental and art house films. Um, And they're definitely exploring different, like, facets of our question of normality. Um, um, Like, our main categories being, like, isolation, technology, society. So we were kind of able to have these different um, perspectives and kind of a pinpointed um, pinpointed perspective to kind of look at the concept of normality. Um, But we do have some exciting films. Um, um, Some directors have had work, like, in South by Southwest, um, Slamdance, Features on Nowness. Um, we've got, yeah, European films, American films. Um, I'm really pleased with um, the fact that it's also like a good range of like male and female content. So that was really important to us. And queer content as well. That was really important to us to have a range, a diverse range in the program. 
Awesome. It's and it's one of those things, I suppose, with um with the current global pandemic, there's um arts have taken quite a hit. So I think having an opportunity to showcase this work must be incredibly satisfying. Can you um just comment on on what the value you think of these festivals, particularly in a time like this, is? Um um, I think Jay will have a good answer for this as well, but <laughs> I wanted to also say, I guess, the fact that for us, we were definitely aware of wanting to not just have, for like an online experience, we didn't want it to just be, oh, here's a selection of like curated films on a platform. We definitely wanted to have like create an experience, create an occasion. And um, you're, you're live streaming these yeah. screenings. How, sorry to kind of butt in there, but um, how logistically is is that working? That's I think that's a really great way because with a lot of film festivals, I'm seeing that you are, you know, purchasing things to rent. Um, I think Sydney Film Festival are operating that way. But with something live streaming, you're right, it is, you're creating an experience because everybody has to be there at that time. So how are you going about doing that? Yes, so that was very much my area, and yep. we looked at a lot of different streaming platforms uh, and figuring out the various um, pros and cons for what they're doing. So initially, we had looked at uh, Shift Seventy Two, which is a New Zealand-based platform. Mm -hmm. However, it didn't do exactly what we wanted, and it was yep. also very expensive, admittedly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they they pretty much have a catalog similar to Netflix or Atlas Shorts, how they have you go in and you choose the film that you wanted, but we still wanted the curation part of it. We still wanted our programming team to be able to tell a story or to tell their message through the films that we're choosing. So I looked at the more live streaming capable stuff. So YouTube Live, Facebook Live, uh, even Vimeo Live, all those sorts of things. And this idea of a multi-stream was born because I personally stream on Twitch on my own time. So I had Streamlabs open and I saw about all of the platforms that I could possibly stream to. I just had to figure out which ones would actually work and which ones were not useful. Mm -hmm. So Vimeo Live, I needed a subscription for, and we tried to figure out if there was a way to get a monthly one to make it a little bit cheaper, but unfortunately they did not get back to us. So YouTube, I found out you need a hundred subscribers to be able to do. And oh, wow. given, given that and getting a hundred subscribers in the time that we have was not impossible. It's really hard for no content coming out yep. essentially. And I didn't want to pay for them because that's, you know, <laughs> wrong. Uh, so Twitch became my natural thought process. This idea of streaming to Twitch and having that live chat, component there for people to be able to talk to each other but it doesn't ru ruin the experience for anybody that simply wants to go full screen and just ignore the comments and enjoy mm -hmm. the films and also allows us to see how people are reacting to what we're talking about yeah. it just felt like the best possible way to present what we needed to present yeah definitely highlighting highlighting audience engagement was really important mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. and how many are there on the team who are working now you've got you've separated up into programs and operations but how many are behind the scenes working there's 16 students and they're they're scattered to the nine winds is that how many winds <laughs> there are i forget but they're not all in melbourne it is truly an international film festival the internationalism extends to the team because uh, in isolation people needn't be in melbourne yeah and they're not necessarily that's great wonderful mm. and especially um well, Sally and I are both, um, well, I'm a, a occasionally a, a teacher and um, 
that must be incredibly satisfying for you to be able to continue with with that course despite those challenges, Cerise. Mm. Uh, satisfying, um, yes. Stressful, <laughs> also. Yes. Uh, many yeah. things. A learning yeah. experience for me, as much as anyone else, I suspect. Mm, I can the, imagine the pivot necessary for so many in, at, at this time as well to meaningfully uh, transpose what they do in uh, in the physical environment to the online is. Uh, so in this case, um, teaching as well as an event, it's yeah. I love all, how all like all the day's work. I'm a teacher, yeah. you know, they're hardcore. Yeah. I love how uh, <laughs> true. I love how the it's so meta for you as well. Like the new normal for you is also the in the process of teaching and and spearheading this is it was also a new normal, and mm. um, good that you threw in another um, pandemic spin word of pivot. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I suppose we're hitting all the marks. Right? <laughs> um, but just before we, we wrap up today's interview, I just want to ask if you've got any recommendations of films um, that we must definitely not miss during this live stream. Ooh, that's good. Um, yeah, <laughs> good question. Um, yeah, I'm definitely, there's a few films I'm excited for and that actually kind of correlate with our, like, Q&As. Um, I'm really excited for a film that... Um, is from a director duo, one's from the States, one's from Berlin, and that's um, Pocket, which is playing on night two, our technology night, um, which follows a year in the life of um, a 15-year-old, um, and it's told directly from the lens of his iPhone, but um, not kind of, in, not in a way you would expect to see, like, an, oh, shot on iPhone video. Like, <laughs> it's very <laughs> um, immersive and impressive, I would say. Yeah, oh, fantastic. That and some great. of the documentaries are very, um, um, very moving, very like eye opening. Yeah, awesome. All right, cool. Well, um, we've been chatting to Amelia and Jay from the New Normal International Film Festival. It's an online festival run by media students from RMIT. It starts this Thursday, the fourth of June, and runs until Saturday, the sixth of June. The festival will be live streamed on the New Normal International Film Festival website. And it's also um, will be simultaneously available on YouTube, Facebook and Twitch. And for more information and to stream this festival, go to newnormaliff.com. Thank you so much for your time, Amelia and Jay. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, That's excited great. about the festival. Yes, You're listening definitely. to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R on FM, digital, online, via the app. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Sally Christie, Cerise Howard and myself, Flick Ford. And a very big thank you to Amelia Leonard and Jay McGuinness for joining us just before the break to talk about the New Normal International Film Festival, an online festival run by media students from RMIT, which starts this Thursday and finishes up on Saturday. Make sure you check it out. So here in Australia, it is, of course, National Reconciliation Week, a week to reflect on the history, culture, knowledge systems and experiences of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Every year, National Reconciliation Week is held on the 27th of May until the 3rd of June, because these dates commemorate two very significant milestones in the reconciliation journey, the, six, <clears throat> pardon me, the successful 1967 referendum and the High Court Mabo decision. 
So while progress has been made, there is still so much work to be done. This is painfully evident when our national sorry day of 40,000 on our national sorry day, a 40,000 year old Aboriginal site is destroyed to expand, expand an iron ore mine with the company responsible apologizing days later. This is and always will be Aboriginal land. And this week is an opportunity to think about what we can do to better support and foster reconciliation efforts. One of the key strategies in this endeavor is highlighting and celebrating Indigenous artists and filmmakers. On tonight's show, we are spotlighting the work of filmmaker, musician, and proud KG, KJ man Warwick Thornton. We'll be reviewing his debut feature-length film, Samson and Delilah, from 2009, and his 2017 Western Sweet Country. And if you were tuned into Triple R on Friday morning, you might have caught the breakfasters chat with Warwick Thornton about The Beach, a three-hour special that screened on NITV and SBS on Friday night. And you can listen back to that interview on Triple R On Demand if you missed it. Um, Sally, did you catch that? I did. Um, it was so, in- like, what an incredibly beautiful way to spend a Friday evening. Um, Cerise, did you see it as well, The Beach? I certainly did. Um, I seldom binge watch television, but I sat down thinking I was probably going to and then very much did watch all three hours back to back and um, just it, let it wash over me. It's it was like um a kind of, you know, this beautiful meditation. It was so trance-like. It was it's completely hypnotic. It was so beautiful. Absolutely. I borrowed um I borrowed a friend's projector for to watch it. Uh, I was very excited about watching this on on a big screen, and I had the idea that I would f- uh, follow it with Sweet Country, which um is good, you know, almost two hour film. And I kept on being like, oh, just watch an hour of it. Oh, just watch an hour and a half of it. And then ended up watching all three hours in one go. And I think if if you can, I recommend watching it like that. I think there's something really beautiful about being lulled into that world and the way in which it's um it reminds me of kind of like the slow cinema that we've talked a lot about on on primal screen before and just sort of taking the time it with and sense of the interiority of his experiences as well there's some beautiful imagery throughout this and it's shot by his son Dylan um Dylan River and um who has acted as a cinematographer in his earlier film so what a beautiful beautiful piece you know what I followed this with so I watched the beach and was like oh that was so beautiful I'm gonna watch another film that I should have seen but haven't so I followed it with good time (laughs) that was a mistake it was a great film film. yeah yeah but oh talk about change in tone um that was (laughs) Sally Sally I know bad choice I mean it's a great film but I know it was excellent coupling Um, yeah, highly recommend for all listeners to check that out. Um, it's The Beach. We're not going to be doing an official review of that, but there's so many short films and documentaries of Thornton's that we will probably mention throughout this show, and so do do make an effort to check it out. Um, but for now, we actually have a little clip of Thornton um, talking in another interview about the role of Indigenous filmmakers. So I'm just going to play that for you now. Well, you know, when, 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 we, when I sort of introduced the film earlier, you know, sort of just murmured a bit about how history has been written and a lot of Indigenous history in the world here, uh, you know, everywhere has been written with a lead pencil and and an eraser. And it's always designed to shine a light and be favourable for basically the the colonisers or the, um, you know, any form of um, that kind of, you know, the the missionaries or, you know. 
And, you know, as Indigenous um, filmmakers, we, we're kind of rebuilding our library at the moment. We're, finding, we're getting our voice back, and the novelists as well, and, and musicians and songwriters, Indigenous people, artistic across the borders. We're starting to actually talk our truth, yeah. what an, an oral history that's been pa- passed down, and a different version of history at what we know our history as. And it's, so it's really important to be truthful because it actually, even though it's fiction in a way and it's based on a true story, there's actually, we as Indigenous filmmakers, we have to be incredibly succinct and precise because this is our history and we don't want to go and, um, oh, I don't know, fa- fantasise it. You know what I mean? We've all got an opportunity to speak the truth and to have a dialogue, mm-hmm. even though it's fiction, so we have to get it right. So we, you know, the investment in getting it right you know, is, is really important to Indigenous filmmakers and, and artists in general. Warwick Thornton was born in Kechej country and grew up in Alice Springs. His sister, Erica Glynn, is also a film writer and director and his son, Dylan, who we mentioned before, Dylan River, is a filmmaker. In fact, he directed the, the recent three-hour special on Thornton, The Beach, which we were just discussing, and also assisted in the cinematography in Thornton's 2017 film, Sweet Country. Sweet Country also features Thornton's youngest daughter, Luca May, and a actor who has appeared in a number of their father's films. So Thornton used to be a DJ for the radio station at the Central Australian Aboriginal Media Association and it's an organisation that was co-founded by his mother, Frida Glynn, who was also the association's first director. And during this time, the station set up a film unit which ultimately inspired Thornton to get into filmmaking and he started out with a 26-minute film called Greenbush starring Aboriginal activist Gary Foley, which if you haven't seen, check it out. It's amazing. And uh, Thornton later went on to study at Afters in Sydney. So Samson and Delilah is Warwick Thornton's debut feature film. It stars two first-time screen actors, Rowan McNamara and Marissa Gibson, as 14-year-old teenagers Samson and Delilah living in a remote desert community and they reluctantly become bound together in an unconventional love story based on shared grief, loss and longing in a difficult and hostile world. So the film won the Gold Camera Award for Best Feature first feature film at 2009 Cannes Film Festival and was nominated as Australia's official entry in the Academy Awards Best Foreign Language Film category that same year. It's filmed in and around Alice Springs. The film has been described by Warwick Thornton as a survival love story. It's a largely silent film and the little dialogue there is features Walpiri language and some exchanges in English. Now here is Warwick Thornton discussing how music and more specifically the radio functions in Samson and Delilah as an oral representation of community and culture. You're listening to Country Radio, Aboriginal radio in Aboriginal country. I wanted to make a teenage love story set in these communities and you can't make a teenage love story in these communities without the issues and, you know, the, the darker side of life. I don't really want to go into those specifics of what I've seen, but, you know, there is that sort of fire inside of me to talk about these things. You know, Samson and Delilah is a film that is only about... I only have questions. Kenny here with the Greenbush Show, taking you through the night, with all your requests going out to all our mob doing time in prison. The radio show as well, the request that was sending, that was sent out and the, the words that were said on the radio were all backing up the bigger picture and the behind the, the actual frame of what this world is like. You know, it was telling stuff that, you know, you, 
if you tried to write uh, as as dialogue to for one character to say to another would become very sort of um you know you would be dr- you would be banging the audience over the head but mm. if you can use it in subliminal ways you know you can actually have a whole backstory about indigenous people and all that kind of stuff coming from simply a radio in the in the corner of frame or actually out of frame and use it you know in the in the sound you know and it's kind of it was important to try and find those sort of narrative things that were helping the story mm. that weren't just sort of basic picture or dialogue Sally, Warwick Thornton, Samson and Delilah is one of the films you've taught to your students in the past. Can you tell us a bit about why you think it's important that it's been included in the curriculum? Um, Yeah, I definitely can speak to that a little bit. I've taught this um, in previous years specifically to year 10 media students. So um, students that are around the age of 14 and 15, um, 16 years old, so around the same age as Samson and Delilah. I think there is a general lack of Indigenous texts within our school curriculum um, as a whole. So when something like this is available, like Samson and Delilah, which has a teenage cast, um, and although the experience is very different to, I guess, suburban Melbourne teenagers, there's still that kind of... I guess all those heightened emotions of being a teenager, but seeing it through a very, very different lens and seen in a, an Australia that exists that they haven't seen before. So I think it's really important for young people to see that. Um, you know, we often, there's young people that would never have, um, you know, understood that things like this, that there were communities like this um, in Australia. For one example um, that I always have to explain to students is the petrol sniffing because mm. it's something that they just think is uh, Samson having a drink. And it's like, no, 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 that is, it's substance abuse. And um, the way Warwick Thornton tackles these issues in this film is done in such a really beautiful way almost that it becomes we're confronted with these things these visuals that are pretty horrific but it's when we were talking about the beach before I was saying that it's almost sort of like a meditation the same thing kind of happens with Samson and Delilah the way these things sort of fold out in the film um yeah I think it's really incredible it is, isn't it? And it doesn't shy away from the from those issues, like you said, Sally. And I actually, it's interesting because when you read the what the story is about, it does come across as going to be a really hard hard watch. And I think it, you know, it's fair to say it is. But there's also a lot of lightness that Thornton brings to it. And I think that's mainly through music. And you can really yeah. see his background as a radio DJ, someone who loves music and you know you see that in a, in a, he has done the score for a lot of his films and in just usually in small ways but um the opening scene of Samson um and it's he's, uh, he's got um Charlie Pride's sunshiny day playing as he's mm. like waking up to smell sniff petrol small wonderful contrapuntal sound like the yeah. clash of this beautiful upbeat song to you know this teenager who's you know disconnected from his family he lives with his brother but there's this huge sense of disconnection and I love that the way in which music is used in this film is really exceptional to be able to transport both Samson and Delilah to these other places and Delilah 
function um she she her way of escape is through this um I think it's a Spanish artist, Ana Gabriel, and she yes. listens to her in the car. And that sense of music being a way to transport you away to somewhere where you, away from where you are right now. And I definitely not, you know, this is a very specific context, but I think that that, as you're saying, is a very relatable thing as a teenager. I remember music offering that to me. And well, yeah. One thing that I noticed when I was re-watching Samson Delilah this weekend is I was looking at Samson's T-shirt and I was like, is he wearing a birthday party shirt? And I was like, he is definitely wearing a birthday party shirt. And this was after I'd watched The Beach. And Warwick Thornton speaks really beautifully um, towards the beginning of The Beach about buying a, a quite loud um, jacket. Oh, I love at, that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> an op shop in Melbourne and then wearing it to the espion feeling shy and um, Roland S. Howard complimenting him and that gave him the confidence to wear um, whatever clothes he wanted to wear, which I just thought was the most gorgeous story. So then yeah. I've gone to rewatch um, Samson and Delilah and I'm like, Samson's got a birthday party to have one. So I was like, I have to find out more about this. And I found this great clip of Warwick Thornton saying um, when he was younger, so in the 80s, it was his birthday. So his mum just bought him a T-shirt that said birthday party <laughs> and he'd wear it down. So this was um, what Samson wears is Warwick Thornton's actual T-shirt from when he was a teenager and he'd wear it um, – out and people would be like shit yeah birthday party cool and he's like I had no idea what they were talking about <laughs> until somebody said you know it's a punk band they're really cool and he goes and that's how I started listening to them and I started listening to Nick Cave so there's this really interesting thing with um Samson's clothing that connects back to Warwick Thornton's youth of you know discovering the birthday party through his mum buying that t-shirt for him which I just yeah I was smitten oh, with that's it. that's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> it's so great. I love yeah. how Thornton tells that story as well. It's a really good um, artful story t- storytelling. I mean, you think it's about the jacket, but it's also a cheeky flex about yeah, it's like how I met. Oh, out. Out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Cerise, I know it's been, have you recently, you haven't recently watched one, but this is one that has been in your your um, viewing experience. Sorry, that was oh, yeah. Out. You know what I mean. Yeah, it made an indelible impression a long, mm. long time ago. And I, I remember the buzz around it long before I actually saw it, um, mm. that it was, uh, you know, Australian cinema was in the doldrums uh, around this. So it came out 2009, premiered 2009. And uh, I'd heard that it made a splash. What, was it Venice, was it, uh, I think? Um, was it or which, yes, which festival it was, was it? One um, of the big ones. It, it was Cannes. It was Cannes, actually. Was it? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I, I gathered it was a South, um, an Adelaide Film Festival premiere funded, film and it had been there was a a lot of excitement about it and it was that very rare thing a film that more than exceeded uh, expectations Mm. generated by buzz because um I was utterly blown away by it yeah it's breathtaking Mm. uh there are a a couple of moments in it which totally pull the rug out from under you take the breath out of you in quite brutal fashion um but much of the film takes place at a very serene pace so that when those moments occur, they, they have all the greater potency. And that serenity of pace is, is sometimes at odds very powerfully with the, the bleakness of some of the, the setting, the, the ambience. But then there is a lot of levity in there too. There is actually quite a lot of humour. Mm. And it is dark, some of it, but it is... It is actually quite a funny film, especially the um, the the grandmother. 
yeah. at the beginning of the film making fun of Samson and Delilah and calling yeah. him her husband and there is there's some yeah. really um humorous moments in it and the it band actually, that strikes okay. up to play as well each time too and there's that sort of <laughs> Samson has this sort of antagonistic relationship with them as I recall yes. it's, it's quite fun it's yeah. also a beautiful dance sequence I, I remember this Gorgeous. really clearly of Samson just breaking out into a really beautiful um I think is it, is it a, a night time? Is it possibly even yes. fireside? It is. Yeah. Okay, my memory is not totally <laughs> no, it's, shot. Oh, that scene oh. for me stood mm. out so much. Um, yeah, you've got Delilah in the car listening to her music, mm. and he puts on a speaker to play his music. So there's this little battle between the two, um, but the film obviously cuts it to her scene. Her is from her perspective, so her music comes yeah. out. But it's a yeah, it's a beautiful film. I I. It was harrowing, but I think there's so much in this. And it actually reminds me of a lot of other Indigenous films in terms of um, that was sort of made around the a few years earlier. So you've got Stephen Johnson's Young uh, Boy from 2001. Uh, Ivan Sends Beneath Clouds also kind of has that idea of these like t- um, two teenagers and kind of on a road trip quest. And um, Tumala, Ivan Sends Other Film, which has um, a lot of difficult narratives around drug and alcohol use in rural mm-hmm. communities. So I think that if you're, if you're kind of interested in exploring other Indigenous films, definitely worth checking those out. Um, Samson and Delilah is now available to stream on Stan and you can rent or buy it via YouTube Rentals and Google Play. Triple R. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Sally Christie, Cerise Howard and myself, Flick Ford. And following the success of his debut feature, Thornton went on to work on several different projects. In 2010, he directed a three-part documentary that explored Australian Indigenous art, culture and heritage. Um, three years later, he released The Dark Side, which is an anthology of first-hand Indigenous ghost stories gathered through a public call-out and then reinterpreted for the screen by a collection of Australian actors. He was also featured in an anthology called Words with Gods, which was a Mexican-US anthology film with eight other directors. And in 2017, he released the documentary We Don't Need a Map, an amazing and exceptionally witty documentary about the most famous constellation in the Southern Hemisphere. And in the same year, he also released the following film, which we're going to play now. Why did you run, Mr. Kelly? I shot a white fella. Sweet Country is set in 1929 in the Eastern Arente Nation lands, now known as Central Australia. It features Hamilton Morris making his film debut as Sam Kelly, a middle-aged Aboriginal man who tends to the land of a kind-hearted preacher by the name of Fred Smith, played by Sam Neill. When a violently unpredictable neighbour moves in, Sam is forced to defend himself, knowing that the shooting will be interpreted, knowing how the shooting will be interpreted by the white town folk, Sam and his wife go into hiding chased by Sergeant Fletcher, played by a determined and very leathery Brian Brown. Uh, Cerise, what did, um, what did you make of Sweet Country? It's a fabulous film. I, mm. We covered this on Plato's Cave, so I'm going to cast my mind back a little <laughs> to then as well. Another film which highlights Thornton's extraordinary eye for, for images and, and here for images in the Central Australian landscape that correlate very closely with those um, iconic images of the American West and especially those around, say, Monument Valley of the John Ford Westerns. So the, the landscape here 
uh, there's landscape. But I, I marvel that we don't see this in more yeah. Australian cinema because it's so beautiful. And it, it isn't somehow like a replica of these American landscapes, but it, the the um, the the rhyme with them is is unmistakable. We this is a western. It's a frontier western. It's um, and it's brutal. It's it's not sugarcoating any realities of frontier life in Australia uh, at the time. Um, and it's set in a really interesting time for cinema as well. The significance of the moving picture show is high within this film. It's um, you know, the story of the Kelly Gang, Australia's contribution to feature-length cinema, supposedly the first feature-length film of all, appears within the film. It comes to town and it's no so coincidence. Yeah, yeah that our main character, this poor, decent Aboriginal man tending the preacher's farm, his surname is Kelly. Uh, there's, there's um, where the, Australia's always had this weird sympathy for Kellys. The Ned Kelly um, lot are somehow uh, celebrated for their outlawing uh, these legendary bush rangers. And that's really intriguing. I think there's some play with, with that here very much. Um, and I saw Thornton recently comment that if Ned Kelly were alive today, he'd probably be hopped up on meth holding up 7-Elevens. And you know, <laughs> really, would we still be celebrating such a figure? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, look, this is a, a stunning film. And, and like Samson and Delilah, carries a real punch too. It's, it's painful. Mm. I know that um, Thornton has said previously that he wanted to write a hero um, for Indigenous people like how white Australia has Ned Kelly written as a heroic figure for them, hence why he wrote, um, he had the name Sam Kelly there. So he was talking about how um, history books are written um, and predominantly by white people and uh, a lot of Indigenous history in those. So he's was saying that figures, but we just don't often see them on screen. Um, it was interesting throwing back, sorry, to Samson Delilah, but I was watching some screen tests of when he was um, looking for uh, boys to play the role of Samson and he was asking them if they've ever seen uh, anyone like them on the screen before and they all said no. So, yeah, it's interesting that that total, there's, that total lack of representation there. So I think he was going for that with this heroic figure in um, Sweet Country. Mm. But, um, yeah, this I missed this when we did this on Plato's Cave. So this was the first time I'd seen this film. And, gee, wow, it's so bloody incredible and works so well with Samson Delilah looking at that kind of generational racism um, and how, you know, it still exists. It's just shifted to be different. Uh, we're looking at the sort of exploitation of art and Samson Delilah and then, I guess, you know, slavery back here in Sweet Country and how, you know, it's still there. We've just, our focus on that has changed. And he comments on that, and I think, in a really interesting way. And like you were saying, Cerise, as well, the use of cinema and then Kelly in this is so that there's one scene with, um, where they're in the bar and you can see the screen playing behind them and mm. it's just gorgeous. He is got such an incredible eye like so so gorgeous mm. loved it absolutely and I think that one of the I mean this film is so technically brilliant as you said Sally but it's also just in the way in which that's married to the story this sort of idea of 
it telling a story of Australia in this time, but it also is kind of, of course, about right now. And they mm. kind of, the way in which he does these temp, like sudden flashes of temporal disruption to the narrative where you've got these flashbacks or flash forwards for the characters. And it's so jarring. You're like, what happens yeah, to this character? Or is this in the past? Is in in the present? And that play with temporality, I think is so central to understanding that experience of generational trauma and also playing around, like messing around with convention as a sort of radical act of decolonizing the screen. Like it's seeing the the Western convention as something to be disrupted and to be um, actively kind of pushed against. So I love the fact that, you know, there was a bit of criticism about, oh, this technically isn't a Western because a Western is defined as, you know, films from the 1900s to 1912. I'll leave it's it like, out. I know. Yeah. And, it's like, <laughs> and it's such an American-centric view of that. And it's like, well, these things were still happening in 1929. That's why the film is set in 1929. So, And it lends itself to that. And um, yeah. I think that all of the... I don't know, there's just so much in this film to, to break down into. And I, I do agree with you, Sally, that this is a wonderful companion to Samson and Delilah because of that sense of, I suppose, fatherhood actually came through for me the most in this film. I was thinking about the absence of fathers, these bad fathers that are played out in the films, this sense of, like, Australia acting as this weird father to these to saying that they knew best for um, Aboriginal people and taking away their children. Mm-hmm. That the, fa- the, the priest himself is a father, um, you know, a different kind of father. And I just thought that really played out in this very simple way. But the film just pushes against all these other stories and realities and histories that often, as you were saying, do not get screened and don't get discussed and engaged with. So mm. it's such a powerful film. Really and I know that Thornton has said that he really enjoyed working with a genre, working with a Western, because he felt like he could uh, um, be more brutal than he was in Samson and Delilah because he had genre conventions that he was working with. So, therefore, you know, he could really, really use that to his advantage. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think, yeah, it works It works really well. It's also interesting that we it, you could talk so much about the way he uses sound in his films, and I know that you've looked a lot at sound flicks, so you probably have a bit to pipe in with but um I was just going to comment on the the silence of the of this film. well there's no there's yeah. absolutely no yeah. soundtrack a score yeah. or anything um, and what a what a what a contrast it's like Hitchcock with Psycho and the Birds you know <laughs> it is it's we've got one that's really sort of heavily um drowned with music and then one that's pretty much silent so yeah Oh, amazing, isn't it? And I think just, just sort of um, forcing us to sort of sit with that as well. And um, there is obviously a lot of violence in in these in both films that we've reviewed tonight. But I think kind of necessary, necessary violence. And it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of um, discussions I've had around the film The Nightingale, where I remember. Um, so that was um, Jennifer Kent's film um, that did feature um, sort of. Yeah, an Indigenous man who and did kind of tap into a lot of the colonial violence. And I think when you're dealing with that kind of material, maybe you need to to go to those dark places. Um, How about you and Leslie in both of those films, in Sweet Country and in um, The Nightingale? I was like, yes, yes. He just loves playing um, a bad guy in an Aussie period film. (laughs) (laughs) Typecast. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. 
Um, so, well, um, Sweet Country is now available to stream on SBS On Demand and you can rent or buy it via YouTube Rentals and Google Play. You're listening to Primal Screen on 3RRR. Triple R. You've been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Sally Christie, Cerise Howard and myself, Flick Ford. We really hope you enjoyed our Primal Screen Director Spotlight on Warwick Thornton, where we discussed his 2009 debut feature film, Samson and, Del- Samson and Delilah, now streaming on Stan, and his 2017 movie, Sweet Country, now streaming on SBS On Demand. And both of those films are available to rent or buy via YouTube Rentals and Google Play. And just as an aside, I do recommend that you check out The Beach, which um, is on NITV and SBS. And go and check out all of his short films, which I think most of them are available online. Um, Green uh, Greenbush, oh, is that what it's called? Greenbush? Sorry, I've got mm-hmm. on. Anyway, go check them out. He is an amazing director. He's been involved in so many different projects, so well worth checking out. And a big thank you to Cerise Howard, Amelia Leonard and Jay McGuinness for talking, us, talking to us about the New Normal International Film Festival, which will be streaming this Thursday, the 4th of June, until Saturday, the 6th of June. You can head to newnormaliff.com for more information and to stream the festival. You can also subscribe to the Primal Screen podcast via iTunes or wherever else you get your favourite podcasts. Now, next week, we have got part two of our Made in Melbourne lockdown special. So why don't let us know um, what your favourite Melbourne-made movie is? You can let us know on our Primal Screen Facebook or tweet us at Primal underscore screen or connect up with us on Instagram at Primal underscore screen underscore show. A huge thank you to Morty Osborne for editing the Primal Screen podcast and for his wonderfully informative hand gesturing in this time of virtual broadcasting. Carl Chapman. (laughs) He just did some really good hand gestures (laughs) great for radio, but I promise everyone they were really good. (laughs) Carl panels and provides producing assistance for our show and we're very thankful. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 